wanted to ask you to pull out your Bibles right now because we're going to be flying through some Scripture this morning. And it's going to be pretty well packed with stuff. And the reason why we're going to be doing that is because I want you to see, I want you to understand what it is to be a child of God, what it is to be loved by God, what it is to be His. And sometimes I'll I'll use just a few scriptures. Sometimes I'll just use one and focus on it. But today we're going to be using a lot. So the first one I want you to flip to is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, I'm actually going to, it's got 14 probably on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 16. And as we dive into this, I want you to see this and I want you to hold on to this as we move through this identity. Starting in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just hold on to that for just a second. We are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. How many times do we read scriptures and miss what it's actually saying? We read scriptures, we open up the Bible, and we see that it says, oh yeah, God's going to be our father, and I get to be a son or a daughter of the Lord God Almighty. Do you, do you grasp that? Do you hold on to that in your brain? Is that processing to the point where it goes, huh, the God who created the entire universe, that's my dad. No? All right, well, let's close your Bibles because we're done. Because if you can't get that, this morning's going to be just mind-blowing to you. And I don't want to have to hurt your head too much, okay? Because it's, it's unbelievable. We've been going through this whole series on identity. And we've been talking about the identity. We live in a world that is craving to know who they are and why they are and what their purpose is. And God says, if you just open up my word and look and understand, you would see who you are. You are my kid. I created you. That's what we talked about in the very first week of this. I created you for a purpose, on purpose. And that purpose is to be in him. And that's what we talked about last week. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either in your sin or you are in the blood and redemption that is found in Jesus. And those two things are huge things for us to hold on to because this world, we like to worship these little G gods and try and find our identity in them. Whether it be a car or a house or the way we look or the way we feel or all the, we try and wrap our identity in these things. Like I said, we got to go to Salt Lake City this week. And it was amazing to go from Salt Lake City or go to Salt Lake City from Las Vegas. Because the last three times we've met in Las Vegas, Las Vegas has lots of temples that they've built to their little G gods. Well, guess what? It's not any different in Salt Lake City. It may look different. It may respond differently, but they have their entire city built to a little G God. They have a temple that is in the middle of downtown. And that temple is the epicenter of the entire city. They actually build the streets off of how far you are from the temple. That's how they do their grid pattern of the streets out there. And everything there is pristine. And everything there is beautiful. As a matter of fact, as we are driving through the downtown, these huge oak trees that are growing over, and all the grass is good, and all the houses are beautiful out front. Everything's about an outward appearance. But guess what? Still missing what matters inside. They're still building it to the wrong G. 
the little g God. And we do it in our own lives, and we can point fingers at other people and say, oh, look what they're doing, or look how they're doing. Look at the sin they have in Las Vegas. Look at the sin they have in Salt Lake City. Well, guess what? There's right here in Rio Rancho. It's right here in Albuquerque. Because we miss who we are in Christ. And that's why I believe this, this sermon series is so important that we started off with that I am. Who are you? How do you define yourself? And that defined the entire series that we're going to do. And we're going to look and see how we define ourselves, how we feel in all of this. Are we in Adam or are we in Christ? Are we underneath the shed blood of Jesus Christ? And if we are, how should we live our lives differently? Not as a slave to fear. And as we get into today, we're actually going to be in second, or sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. And this is a passage that we're going to hold on to probably for the next three, four weeks. And really just dive into it because Peter is doing something here that, that I think we forget. I think we forget that there are people that lived 2,000 years ago that are just like you and just like me. I think we read about things that go in the Bible and we forget that as human beings that it's being written to. That Peter is writing to a church or Peter, Paul is writing to a church or, or whatever it might be and, and they're trying to encourage people in, in where they are at. And the book of 1 Peter is written because people were struggling to find who they were. They were struggling to fit in. They were struggling to find the I am blank even 2,000 years ago. And so as you open your Bible up to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at the verse 11 verses, but we're really going to focus on the last three, 9, 10, and 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open up to it. If you don't have it, it'll be up here on the screen. First Peter chapter 2, it starts with this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that is a builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. And I read that and I say, man, who is Peter writing to? Who are these people that he's writing to? And you know what? If you go back one chapter, he tells you exactly who he's writing to. Because that's how he opens the book. So flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's look at exactly who these people were. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To, this is the writer who I'm, I'm writing the letter to, to those who are elect exiles. Elect exiles, chosen by God, but exiled by the people. They're looking for a place to fit in. 
just like us. How do we fit in? I'm afraid that if I don't do this, I won't fit into this group. I'm afraid if I don't do that, I won't fit into this group. These people had the same things going on. To those who were elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's telling them, this is where you fit in. You are a child of God. You're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you by, who, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Yay! Right? You're supposed to rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Yeah, there's going to be times when you feel left out. There's going to be times you have trials in your life. There's going to be times that things that happen in this world. But we rejoice because we have something that is greater. Something that is beyond this. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. When I read that, I see a group of people, exiles, who are trying to fit in, trying to figure out what's going on. And Peter says, guys, it's not about fitting in with this world. It's about being in Christ. It's about finding your identity in him, about being born again and living in him. And that's Peter writing to them. But guess what? He's also writing it to us. Because I truly believe just like then and just like today, our identity shapes the way we live every day. What we believe about ourselves shapes how we live every day. If we live in a state of who we think we are, well, we're going to live just like that. But if we truly believe we are children of God, that is how we are going to live. We live out who we believe we are. We need to understand that God knows us. That God sees us. He sees who we are. He knows our identity through Christ. The, the problem is, is we don't sometimes. We don't truly see us. He expects us, though, to live out the reality. And that's why Peter says to these elect exiles in verse 9 of chapter 2, but you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. The NIV, if you have that, says you are a chosen people, which means that you are a child of God, and you get to know and you get to trust your Father. You are a royal priesthood. You're a priest that comes to God any time. Do you understand there's religions out there that say you have to go to a priest in order for him to communicate to God? Peter says, scratch that, eh, they're wrong. Because guess what? You are a royal priesthood. You get to go to God anytime. You get to go into the presence of the Almighty Father, the creator of the universe. This is who you are. You're a holy nation. You're a group that is set apart. The church, you are the bride of Christ. You get to be faithful to God. And I want you to notice I keep using the word get to be because sometimes we think we have to be. But we get to be. It's a whole different mindset than that. We are a people of his own possession. He owns us. We are his servants. He has chosen to use us, and we get to serve him. 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's awesome, isn't it? I mean, come on. You're God's people. That is awesome. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. NIV calls us aliens and strangers. You know what that means? It means that this isn't our home. We get to live here, and we get to proclaim who God is and his excellencies and the mercy that we have, but this is not our home. We're living for something so much greater. That's why it says to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage against your soul. And verse 12 tells us you get to be an ambassador to Christ. We get to declare Christ's name. We get to be his ambassador. This is Peter teaching these exiles who they are. This is Peter teaching us who we are. And you know what? I think that's something that's missing a lot in churches nowadays. Is that we forget to teach about who we are, and instead we teach about what we have to do. That we look at it in a backwards way. Instead of focusing on being we start focusing on doing. And we tell the rest of the world, this is what you have to do to be a Christian. No, no, this is who we are as a Christian because we are in Christ. We get to respond to those things by doing and saying, praise God. That's why we get to go to church. That's why we're excited to be able to give. That's why we're excited to be able to serve. That's the reason why we're excited about these things because we get to be, not that we have to be. And I think a lot of times in that backwards teaching, our identity gets mixed up. We think we are because we do instead of we do because we are. And we have to hold on to that. We have to hold on to that. And there's a truth that is, that is wrapped into that. Jesus never intended us to have a list of have-tos. He never did that. That's the reason why Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Because you know what? Those people 2,000 years ago, just like the ones that Peter were writing to, they were struggling too with who am I? What's this all about? And this is what Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I am no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. How huge is that? How mind-blowing is that? How much can we possibly do? Do we need to be a slave to fear of doing the right religious rituals? Do we need to be a slave to fear of following the right rules, of following within the proper regulations? Is that what we need to do to live our lives? No, because he says we are free in Christ, and we need to respond as such. We need to live our lives as such. As a child of God, we get to grow in him. We get to change in him. We get to have a father-child relationship with him. How huge is that? Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8 tell us about it. Let me read them for you real quick. Galatians chapter 4, this once again, Paul writing to these people who are confused. And he says this in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know what that means? Dad. Dad. We get to call the creator of the universe Dad. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. Chapter 8 
of Romans. Once again, another church struggling with their identity. Who am I? What do I get to be? Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as a son by whom we cry what? Abba, Father, Dad. Then the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Dad. My kids, when I get home from work, they all run and they all hug my leg. Dad, so good to have you home. Dad, 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 dad. But one thing that is just overly emotionally recharging for me is in Dale, he's sitting on the ground and he doesn't know a whole lot of words. He's starting to pick up more and more words as it comes along. But he's done this for, for the longest time, that he does this. And that is a sign for Dad. And now he does it and yells it. When I walk in the door, no matter what he's doing, Dad, Dad, Dad. And there's something about that that is just amazing. There's some feeling inside of me that goes, oh, he calls me Dad. I am that man to him. And I am that man to all of my kids. And they come and they're excited about it. And you know what? That's an amazing thing. But for some people, that's not the case. Because some people, Dad, isn't a good term. For some people, dad means a bad relationship. For some people, father, the word father brings up painful memories or a painful lack of memories. We see these things and we realize that, that there are kids all over this world, all over the United States that don't get dad. And that's adult kids as well. But listen to these statistics. 24 million kids live apart from their biological father in the United States. 24 million. And 31% of all kids in America are being raised by single parents. My guess is if you work in the school or work with kids in some way, shape, or form, you see the ill effects of that. You see the way that it is. And you know what makes me think, hmm, is the fact that Satan has a strategy and he wants to ruin the family. So where should he start at if he's going to ruin the family and there in turn ruin our view of God? It's going to have to start with the dad. It's going to have to start with the father because if we have a skewed view of our earthly father, we'll probably have a skewed view of our heavenly father and who he is and what he does. And if he can mess with our view of God, he can harm our desire to connect with God and he can harm our desire to find our identity in God. And that's why so many people outside the church and inside the church struggle with their identity and connecting with this Father. But we have to understand our Heavenly Father is not just some blown up reflection of our earthly Father. We have to understand that God is the perfection of our earthly Father. We have to understand that our earthly Father, regardless of His example, is still a man. But God is not. And He is the perfect father. And it's important we understand why we call God our father. You know, I've talked to people about before, and they can't get past calling him a father, but I think we have to get past any reservations we might have and call him father because we have this tendency in our lives to focus on maybe one or two attributes of God. 
And maybe we look at the fact that he is holy. And we can say, man, I'm glad that God is holy. But we can't focus on the fact that he's just. Because just means he's mean. And he can't possibly send people to hell. And so we look at one, but not the other. The thing is, is that when we look at the word father, it really does encompass all of it. When we look at father, we can look at God and say his holiness is there and demands respect and authentic worship, just like a father should. In Malachi chapter 1, it tells us that God the Father also incorporates his great love. 1 John 3 tells us about it. It incorporates his goodness and his generosity and his kindness. God the Father includes his sovereignty and authority over all things. Ephesians tells us that. And his knowledge and wisdom found in 1 Peter that we've already read. And guess what? God the Father also encompasses, that term encompasses his justice because as a father, he will discipline his own. We understand that. You know what the, the most amazing facts we tend to neglect is what? It's what Jeff read up front. Let me read it for you. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You are his child. I belong to him. You belong to him. If you believe. How amazing is that? Check out what it says in 1 John 3, 1. I mentioned it here a second ago about love and his kindness. To see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's the ESV. Now the ESV, I like to read from the ESV, but there's something that's missing that the NIV has. Can you throw the NIV version up there for me? The NIV version has something a little bit extra. I'm not sure if you see it there. Exclamation points. That's right, I told you we're getting a little Pentecostal today. I was going to pull out the tambourines and let you guys run down the aisle. But we passed on that. I want you to read this with the exclamation points. When you see it here, see what great love the Father has lavished. He's poured out on us that we should be called the children of God. How awesome is that? And that is what we are. Thank you. Thank you for responding that way. I appreciate it because I was going to say, all right. All right. That is what we are. And that is what we are. You know, we can call ourselves whatever we want to call ourselves. Am I wrong? I can call myself a football player. I can go put pads on. I can put a Dallas Cowboys jersey on if I so choose. But just like them, I'm not a football player until I prove it. Until I actually go out and I do it. Did I just say that out loud? Maybe I did. Now, the whole thing is, is that we have this weird tendency to think that as long as somebody else calls us it, or if we call ourselves it, then that is what we are. But that's not the case. It's when we live it out. And we show the world that is what we are. Well, guess what? That is exactly what John is saying here when he says, and that is what we are. I'm not just called a child of God. I am a child of God. And that is huge in our mindset and huge in the way that we react and huge in just seeing the fact that his love is great. And when we call him our Heavenly Father, that is a huge, huge thing. And you know what? I have six things that I want to show about how amazingly huge that is. How important it is that that love that he 
lavished on us, that he poured out on us is so great. And I have six things, and you all just went, six things? Are you serious? I'm only doing two. Come back next week for the other four, all right? Because here's what it says, and these things are so important that we have to hold on to and have to remember as we go. These six things about why God's love is so great. The first thing is this. His love is eternal. His love is eternal. I'll tell you a little something. When Christy and I first got married, there was one, one thing that we wanted more than anything else, and that was kids. Now, there's some people in the world that have been blessed with the ability to think about being pregnant, and they get pregnant. And there's other people who desperately want to get pregnant, and God just hasn't blessed them with that particular thing. And we fell in that second category. As a matter of fact, all the doctors said, you're not going to get pregnant. It's not going to happen. I love when God proves doctors wrong, by the way. But the, the whole thing is, is that we fell into that category, and we went through everything. We went through tests. We went through doctor's appointments. We went through timings. We went through temperatures. We went through all kinds of medicines. You name it. We did it. We tried. It didn't work. Until one day, I was coming home from Albertsons on 99th Avenue in Peoria. I walked in the door, and Christy said, I have a surprise for you. And over on the bed, right on the pillow, was laying a Cal Ripken onesie jersey. And from that very second... I fell in love with my child. I didn't know he was going to be a he. I didn't know the sound of his voice. I didn't know his size. I didn't know his attributes. I didn't know the things he was going to love or the things he was going to hate. I didn't know the way he was going to act. But the second that I found out, I fell in love with him. And every child along the way is the exact same. The second that we found out, fell in love with him. Well, guess what? God knew you before the beginning of time. And he was in love with you. God knew everything about you. He has always loved you. Before the world was even created, he was lavishing his love out upon you and upon me. Because he knew, he knew that someday we would commit to follow him and be born again into his family. He knew that. Your father has always loved you and always will. And guess what's going to ever separate you from him? Nothing. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans, once again, these people confused. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure, what's the word sure mean to you? Absolutely positive that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that means? It means nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God. It means our Heavenly Father will not leave. I can tell you, when I was eight years old, I was coming home with my dad from a Little League game. We opened the front door of our house, and the words started flying. The door hadn't even closed yet. Not only words were flying, but forks were flying. I remember dodging and ducking as an eight-year-old kid. And seeing all this take place, and when that door closed, my dad was on the other side of it, and he'd left. He'd left to go live with my grandfather and never lived in that house ever again. Crushed as an eight-year-old. Still remember it today. I can tell you where I was standing at. But you know what? My heavenly father will never leave me. I can also tell you about the time I was sitting at our cabin. I was working on a puzzle inside when I heard a loud crashing sound at age 17 on August 19th, 1993. I heard a loud crashing sound, and I heard just a minute later my grandfather 
flying by saying, get out here, there's been an accident. He was flying by on a four-wheeler, and I started running up the hill, and I saw the tractor had rolled over on top of my stepdad and killed him. I can still remember that. But you know what will never take my Heavenly Father away? A tragedy. Not a sickness. Not even old age. Nothing will take my Heavenly Father away. We cannot produce and, and put on God, what we have for earthly fathers, whether they're great or whether they were taken from us too early. Or if they were terrible, we cannot project that image on him because he is a heavenly father and he is perfect and his love is eternal. It will never end. Nothing can separate us from them. Second thing is, is we need to understand this, that his love is personal. His love is great because it is personal for every one of my kids. I was dying to have a relationship with them. I was so excited when I found out that Camden was a boy. To have a boy first, to be able to, to, be able to buy all kinds of sports stuff for. To be able to, to do and be able to disciple him in the way of the Packer. You know, that, that, was what it was, that was what it was all about. You know, be able to wait for the next part of the relationship where he could throw a ball, where he could catch a ball, or we could do this, or we could do that. And each one of my kids along the way, I was dying to build that relationship. Even when Maylie came along and I had a little princess to just overly spoil, because that's what girls are for. And, and, you know, I get to do, and we have this relationship. Each one of my kids, have the, we have this relationship, and it continues to grow, and I love every second of it. And we got some videos this week of Lily and Levi. And I watched the videos and I edited them down for time's sake so you could just see just a little bit. Because real soon, real soon, we're going to be going over to get them. Don't know the exact dates, but it looks like we'll probably leave November 11th and fly home on Thanksgiving Day, which will be an awesome way to celebrate Thanksgiving. But I want you to see this. And then I want to point some things out to you. So would you play that video for me? By the way, there's Kung Fu Panda music in the background just because I thought it was appropriate. got that video this week when Christy forwarded it on to me. She said, we got some new videos. There's two things that I saw there. As a dad, I don't want somebody else teaching my kid how to walk. I want to be there and be a part of that. And as a dad, I definitely don't want somebody teaching somebody about a Buick. <laughs> I want to be there. I want to teach him about cars. I want to teach him about the boy things that are in life. 
That's what I want. I want to be a part of those things, and I'm desperate for that relationship, and I am so looking forward to it. And I told you it's November 11th, but I'm praying that we're home by November 11th. I'm praying that God does some amazing things, and we make it all happen. It just, it just moves forward, so we're here to celebrate Thanksgiving with them versus having to be on a plane with them on Thanksgiving, because I don't know what turkey's like on American Airlines. But the, the thing is, is that I am desperate for that relationship, and I think about the idea of being personal, and God has this desire to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to be in your presence. He wants to be with you. And he didn't just say, I love you, and left it at that. It was, I love you, and I'm going to send my son to die on a cross so that you and I can have a personal relationship, and you can grow in me, and I can teach you, and you can be discipled, and follow me, and understand who I am, and the will of of who I am to be passed out there. As a matter of fact, as you look at the, the nature of that relationship, that personal relationship, even Jesus, when he's teaching us how to pray, he's teaching us about this personal relationship that we can have. He's teaching us, saying, when you pray, pray like this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, our Father, guess what word that is? It's Abba, which is Dad. Dad, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Dad, your name is holy, but I still get to call you Dad. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dad, we don't want to be self-centered, disobedient children. We want your kingdom to come, we want your will to be done. Dad, give us this day our daily bread. Thank you for the provisions you gave us yesterday, and we look forward to what you're going to do today. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Dad, thanks for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. Don't you wish you could say that to your real dad sometimes? I know my kids probably do. Thanks for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Dad, be a dad. Guide me. Protect me. Direct me. Take me where we need to go. God, our Father, is not aloof, and he doesn't love you from some far-off place. God, our Father, loves you personally, and he loves you extravagantly. And that's some of the things we're going to talk about next week, this, this great love that he has for us. We talk about his generosity. We're going to talk about some of those attributes. But this is what we need to understand. He knows you by name, and he is an involved father. It's an amazing relationship that we have. An amazing relationship that we have. But let me ask you an application question here. And that's this. How do you respond? How do you respond? Corey, can you throw that picture up on the, uh, on the screen there for me? Does anybody know what this is? Where that's found? Sistine Chapel. It's a picture of God reaching out for Adam and Adam being limp-wristed. Aloof. Uh, meh. God is reaching out for us. He reached out through his son, Jesus Christ, and he desperately wants to have a relationship. He paid the ultimate price to have that relationship with you. I think about the price, <coughs> excuse me, that we have paid. The money that we've raised, the time, all the effort, all the things that, that have, have come into being just to have Lily and Levi come home. Well, that price that we've paid is nothing in comparison to the price that God paid to have a relationship with you. And our response so often is, meh. You know what I mean? Meh. We have to go to church today. Meh. Let me ask you. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? 
Why, why do you bother volunteering or serving at a church? Why do we give our time? Why do we give our effort? Why do we give our money? Or better even question than that is, is why don't we? Is it, eh, just that weak reaching out? There's this God who wants to have this amazing relationship with us, and our response is, is, eh. Even there on your chair, some of you have those little invite cards. Why, why is it that we invite people to meet this Jesus? Or, better question is, is why don't we? Why don't we introduce people to a God, a Father, who loves them more than anything else? Why is it we don't do that? Why is it that we respond the way that we do? I think a lot of it is, is because we're afraid. We're a slave to fear of what other people might think. We're a slave to fear of giving up my time, my money, my investments, my efforts to something that may or may not produce what I want it to do, so I'm going to do what I want to do instead. It's our response to him. Why do we invest or why don't we? Why do you give your time or why don't you? Why do you give your reputation or why don't you? Why do you give your money or why don't you? Why do you give your gifts or why don't you? It's a question that we really truly need to hold on to and try and figure out because God the Father, he loves us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to build that relationship. And in that relationship, understanding that we are God's children, he wants to see us respond as such. Why don't we? I think there's a deception that takes place, and I'm going to wrap up with this. There's a paper back there on that back table. It's actually from a book called Fervent, A Woman's Battle Plan for Serious, Specific, and Strategic Prayer. And Christy shared this with me, and I said, we need to share that with everybody. She had read it in this book, and and these are the enemy's strategies of deception to throw us off on the why don't we. To help us answer why, don't we? And the strategy number one is this, and I'm going to read them fast. That's why I put them back there so you can take them with you and you can look at them and see where is the devil strategizing his little strategy against you guys. This is number one. It's against your passion. He seeks to dim your whole desire for prayer, to dull your interest in spiritual things and downplay the potency of your most specific strategic weapons. Strategy, Strategy number two. Is against your focus. He disguises himself and manipulates your perspective so you won't end up focusing on him, but instead on the wrong culprit, directing your weapons at the wrong enemy. Strategy number three, against your identity. He magnifies your insecurities, your fears, leading you to doubt what God says about you and disregard what he's given you, his very son, the ability to be an heir, a child of God. Strategy number four, against your family. He wants to disintegrate your family, divide your home, render it chaotic, restless, and unfruitful. Anybody have a home that's like that? Strategy five, against your confidence, he constantly reminds you of your past mistakes, your bad choices, hoping to convince you that you're under God's judgment rather than under his son's blood. Strategy number six, against your calling, he amplifies fear, worry, and anxiety until they're loudest voices in your head, causing you to deem your adventure of following God too risky to attempt. I'm afraid. Seven, against your purity, he tries to tempt you towards certain sins, convincing that you can tolerate them without risking consequence, knowing they'll only wedge distance between you and God. Number eight, against your rest and your contentment. He hopes to overload your life and schedule, pressuring you to constantly push beyond your limits, never feeling permission to say no. Number nine, against your heart. He uses every opportunity to keep old wounds fresh in mind. 
knowing that anger and hurt and bitterness and unforgiveness will continue to roll the damage forward. We just can't let go. And number 10, against your relationships. He creates disruption and disunity within your circles of friends and within the shared community of the body of Christ so that bitterness tends to grow and we separate ourselves. We don't get connected. We sit out on the outside just where that roaring lion, the prowling lion, attacks that antelope on National Geographic. That's you when you're outside of the group. So please understand your identity is in Christ and it means everything for you to actually believe it and live it out. If you don't know that, I pray that today you meet him. Your identity is in him, and we are children of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you once again for the ability to even call you Father, for opening that door that we could be co-heirs with Christ, that we could be a child of yours, that we are adopted as sons and daughters into your family. And more than even that adoption, it is us becoming yours. God, I pray that we live like it. I know from personal experience in my own life that God, I struggle with that. How could God possibly love me, a sinner? I haven't done enough good things to earn that. Well, the thing is, is in Romans, you tell us that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. You didn't wait for us to be good enough. God, help shake that misrepresentation of who you are off. You're a God demanding excellence first, but instead we get to see you first and you make us excellent. You change us. You change our hearts. You change our minds. If there's anybody in this room that does not know that, I pray that today is the day they meet you. And if there's anybody in this room that does know it, but for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years of their lives, whatever it might be, they have somehow, some way, put that aside and thought that somehow you had to earn it. God, shake that, break that right now. That we can be called a son and a daughter of yours and live our lives that way. Not worried about fitting in with the world, but being able to fit into your family because of your son, Jesus Christ. Pray it in your name. Amen.